Thank you, Jimmy, very much, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm glad all of you are here tonight, and I'm glad I'm here. I'm not sure there's any place I'd rather be tonight now that we have uh, all of our family here. Our son and his children are going to meet us over in North Carolina on uh, Friday, so uh, this is a good place to be. It's always good to be in Franklin anyway, isn't it? Well, tonight uh, we're going to talk about fossils and animal life stuff, and uh, there's too much to talk about in 35 minutes. There are whole degree programs in geology and paleontology and these other areas uh, that intersect around what we're talking about this evening, but I hope that... Uh, we can touch just upon two or three issues that need to be known particularly by young people in school uh, and, and be aware of uh, some things. And then beyond that, uh, uh, we'll observe a few things from God's Word. I'd like to take you back uh, this evening, if I may, to Genesis chapter 1. And beginning at verse 20, God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the water abounded, according to their kind. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. The evening and the morning were the fifth day. And then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Cattle and creeping thing and beasts of the earth each according to its kind. And it was so. Now, I'm not going to uh, get into a real hefty discussion this e evening in terms of terminology on uh, what kind represents or what species are, whatever 35 minutes it would take to do that. But uh, whatever that means, it means that God created certain things after their kind and then expected them to reproduce after their kind. And what that essentially says is that we did not come, as evolution says, up a tree from all all beings being from the same source. So our question I think we raised uh, maybe last night was, is the creation of living things a tree? Let me, I don't know what I did with that one. I've still got that slide out of here some way or other. Uh, is it a tree or is it a forest? 
are there a number of trees, kinds, species? That's what God says it is. And he says that all living things are this uh, forest of trees rather than one tree from which everything came. Did that run ahead of me or let me back up just a minute. Yeah, I, I, let me pick you up right there. I wanted to uh, give you this quotation. This comes from uh, G.A. Kirkut and has to do with the implications of evolution. And he says, the most important evidence for the theory of evolution is that obtained from the study of paleontology. And he goes on to say it was the discovery of various fossils and their correct placing in relative strata and age that provided the main factual basis for the modern view of evolution. I'm not sure that's correct. In fact, I'm fairly sure that is not correct. That is an assertion of a scientist. And we want to take a look at that in the beginning this evening, and we will uh, examine uh, a few things. What is a, a fossil? Well, this definition has been given, and among others that we might look at, fossils are rock replicas of plants or animals or their parts, especially their skeletons, and they provide us a link with the past. And hence, fossils are capsules of information from past life forms. These are encapsulated in the rocks, and uh, these uh, earlier life forms, uh, we say sometimes, uh, that have been there a long time, are found in the rocks. Now, the question that we're going to deal with is this. What would you expect to find in the fossil record if evolution is correct, what, what, do, what would you expect to find there if Darwin's system is accurate? And maybe the best thing to do is to let Darwin speak to that himself. And he made some telling remarks in his uh, book on the origin of species. He said, for example, the number of intermediate varieties which have formerly existed on the earth must be truly enormous. Why then is not every geological formation and every stratum full of such intermediate links? Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain. And this, perhaps, is the most obvious and gravest objection which can be urged against my theory. He says, doesn't he, that this fossil record is very important to substantiate his position, his theory. But he acknowledges in this that the fossil record doesn't show what he thinks it should show. Well, the reason he gave at that time, and we're talking 1831, 
is that the fossil record was so imperfect. He thought that the fossils had just not been discovered yet, but they were there. We're living a hundred and seventy-five years later, and the world of science has looked for these intermediate fossil forms diligently for a hundred and seventy-five years, and we're still to find the intermediate fossil forms that Darwin said was essential to his position. This geological uh, column, and I'm out of order again this evening, all right, this geological column is uh, still not uh, available for us. Let me go back now. Maybe I moved this over. I asked you uh, a while ago, what should be found in the fossil record to uh, make us uh, have what we need for the record? What evidence should we have? And here's the evidence that is needed. The evidence the evolutionist needs to establish his claims is fossils showing a gradual step-by-step -step development of lower animal life into more and more complex forms. This is what you would expect there to be, what needs to be found. That has not been found. The evidence the creationist needs, you and I need, to support creation is fossils showing complex life appearing suddenly with no fossil evidence of lower animals developing into new complex forms of life. That's the, the contrast. And the question is going to be, what do we see in the record? It, do we see the first, that is, these forms progressing up and becoming something else, or do we see complex life appearing fully formed? Does it progress to be fully formed, or does the fossil record show us these forms already developed? Well, we want to look at three primary things then over the next few minutes, and let me uh, do that, and maybe I can get my uh, slides in the right order now. I want to notice uh, three prominent features this evening of this fossil record that we find and that science observes. First of all, we find formations filled with fossils 
that encapsulate information. Lots of information. But no logical, consistent progression from lower forms to higher forms. That's what we said we needed to establish Darwin's theory. And uh, so take a look at that while I get these slides working just like I want them to. Stay with me a little bit. This uh, is what we should be able to see as the rock formations progress and come up from lower to higher. We should be able to see the lower forms at the bottom coming up to the higher forms. Wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say? I'm going to do you like Edwin does the children when they come out here of the classes. <laughs> what? <laughs> does he say? All right. You've seen these charts, I'm sure, in your uh, schoolwork. You've seen these geological charts with different time periods, and the time periods show these things. Dr. Stephen Austin said data from continents and ocean basins show that the ten systems are poorly represented on a global scale. Approximately 77% of the Earth's surface area on land and under the sea has seven or more of the strata systems missing beneath. 94% of the Earth's surface has three or more systems missing beneath and an estimated 99.6% has at least one missing system. Now what he is saying is that this that we see here does not appear in the fossil record. And it is just not a fact. A hundred percent, basically, of locations are known that did not match the order of the geological columns. It's not a fact. What Darwin said would come about. The problem is that the placement of fossils in the geological column was based on the presumption that the Darwinian model was correct. When you build a, a system around your theory that's not building the system on the facts that you learn, it's building on your philosophy. So the Darwinian model was a philosophy, basically. While there may be some allowance for landsliding, overthrust, faulting, overturning of the earth, and so on. The widespread global lack of a consistent geological column is devastating to the Darwin position. So what we see is animal fossils in different strata but not coming up in the order that they should to support the theory. 
And that becomes an important kind of a, of a study for you to look at. Young people need to know that. There is not a consistent geological column in the world that transverses uh, a single place to accomplish these kinds of circumstances. All right, now then, let's move on to our second idea here, uh, just a moment. I'll get back to this. And that is that these fossils were fully formed, suddenly appear in one of these periods of time. This is usually called the Cambrian Explosion. And the Cambrian Explosion has the distinctive feature of showing early origin of the phyla, the uh, kinds of animals. No logical progression from lower life. The fossils fully form when they appear as higher elements of life or higher uh, uh, organisms of life. Now, I could show you uh, this, for example. This is Darwin's theory, the tree of life, he would call it. And, of course, what he said was life comes from the root and goes up and then divides out in the branches, the different branches, and that all of us, including all the animal life, came back to this original trunk, to the original source, the origin of the phyla, he would call this. This is what we find when we find these earlier fossils. We find them originating in groups and in individual kinds of animal life. Not all coming from one tree, but coming up themselves according to their kind. Now, what did our text say in Genesis chapter 1? It said that God created this life, the sea life, the life in the heavens, the animal life, and each was to bring forth, he said, according to its kind. So basically what we see is a difference between what we can observe in the fossil record as to the beginnings of these kinds of animals as opposed to what Darwin said. There are 52 to 54, depending on the system that you look at, of these phyla. Forty to forty-two of those originate in the Cambrian period. Fossils fully formed, suddenly appearing, not coming from lower forms of life up, but beginning fully formed. 
sudden appearance of a huge number of these fossils. Great variety in the organisms. If this is taking, you see, a billion years, or even a hundred million years, or ten million years, you ought to be able to see a progression of the life forms. These forms come about in variety during this one period. All of them during the same period. And we could go on. Twelve other phyla of those 52 to 54 are also believed to have been originated in this period of time because of the nature of the organisms and so on. When these are added, then all but one phyla is known to originate in the Cambrian period. So that speaks to this issue. Remember, Darwin said this is the greatest objection to my theory, the fossil record, as it exists today. So, according to Darwin's theory, there should be something like one and a half billion years of missile missing fossil evidence in here. From a single cell to the earliest fossils, the earliest fossils, there should be that long period of time but without fossil evidence, with no evidence of these complex forms gradually developing from the simpler form of life. So we're back to Darwin's tree. And he says all of us and all life comes from this single source. This is an interpretation. The question are, is, what are the facts? Let me read you from Stephen Gould's article, Evolution's Erratic Place. He's an evolutionist. This is in Natural History, May 1977. He said this. He said, the extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade secret of paleontology. The evolutionary trees that adorn our textbooks have data only at the tips and nodes of their branches. The rest is inference, however reasonable, not the evidence of fossils. It's inference, not real evidence. So what we really see in the fossil record is this, the tips, the animals, not the fossils showing intermediate forms and lower levels of life moving back from them. So, what we're seeing as we look at this uh, logically and try to see the evidence that is involved, 
is that there is no logical, consistent progression in the fossil geological column. We see fossils fully formed and suddenly appearing in this Cambrian explosion. That does not support the Darwinian theory. We'll be looking at some positive evidence more a little bit tomorrow evening. This is, I suppose, a kind of negative evidence where Darwinian expectations are not being fulfilled. And they have not been fulfilled over the past 175 years. All right, now then, that brings us down to talk a little bit about the progression to man. And we're going to talk about uh, some of the uh, evidence from man's nature and all of that uh, tomorrow night. So I wanted to talk a little bit uh, this evening in our class about man and this fossil record. Because you see a lot of this uh, in, in the textbooks, you're probably going to see uh, something like this in your books. How many of you have seen something like that in your textbooks in school? Well, sure you have. In that, there is a great uh, deal of interpretation, of course, and the question is, does that, is that supported? by the evidence. So let me give you just a kind of a, of a quick history, and I'm not even sure that I'm going to pronounce some of these names uh, uh, correctly. I think I'm going to need to get our sister Fisher to uh, tell us uh, some of the terms that are used as we go along. <coughs> she studied uh, uh, geology and some of these uh, subjects. This is a, a skull identified with Neanderthal, the Neanderthal man he is sometimes called. The year this was discovered was 1856. Most early evolutionists uh, jumped all over this and uh, suggested that this was one of those intermediate links between animals and man, the higher orders of uh, mammals and man. What you need to know, I suppose, about this, without going into too much detail about it, is that it has been abandoned as uh, ancestral to man by major art, uh, anthropologists since about 1960. It is now considered as a man, not as an intermediate or a transitional uh, form. The early fossils that were found around this period and this model uh, were often uh, diseased, and the uh, 
the fossils were uh, uh, modified in some some ways, and uh, now over 300 different individuals, individual skulls, have been found in this period of time. And uh, so this has been pretty well abandoned by uh, the scholars, the major scholars, are not saying that the Neanderthal man was a uh, transitional form for us. This is a Java man, and uh, there's a Peking man. About this same time, this is in the late 1800s, 1891, this uh, Homo erectus was found. And he was a proposed ancestor to man as well. Frenchmen uh, promoted uh, this finding. And here, once again now, in around uh, 1972, the ancestral status of this uh, skull was made highly, quali uh, uh, highly uh, questionable in a discovery of another uh, skull that was found. And that uh, has kept this from being uh, a major uh, transitional form. Martin Lubinow. Uh, spoke on this, and here's what he said. He said, we should either admit that the Homo erectus, Homo sapiens, boundary is arbitrary, and we should use non-morphological criteria for determining it, or Homo erectus should be sunk into Homo sapiens. Now, the idea of that is we need to find something that shows that transitional, or we need to admit it's a man. And, of course, that's the kind of uh, position that we uh, would understand. This uh, was written in 1992, uh, about 15 years ago. Uh, that has been found. Now, we could go through uh, a number... <coughs> Uh, of other uh, kinds of uh, skulls that have been found in these fossil uh, beds and so on, and what's been said about them. But let me suggest to you a, a statement by William Fix, written in a book called The Bone Peddlers in 1984. He says, as it turned out, it was only a matter of time before this doubtful ancestor was also exposed as yet another embarrassing case in which the specimen had been embraced solely because it fell within preconceived wishes and could be used to support all manner of convenient hypotheses. Well, if we've got something to prove, sometimes we find something to prove it with. And not always is that good. This is a little bit like, uh, for example, when religious studies, when we're talking about uh, tradition 
And uh, on Sunday, for example, we were talking about the Talpia tomb and the, the find of uh, uh, those uh, names on those ossuaries and the kind of inferences and uh, suppositions that were made about that. Somebody wanting to prove something, finds something, and then makes that prove it. And so I think that's what the scholars are saying sometimes about some of these uh, kinds of things that have been found. Look at this quotation. The earliest man-like primate found so far, he says, is now thought by some experts to be the oldest of man's ancestors in a direct line. This hominid status is pre uh, predicated upon a few teeth, some fragments of a jaw, and a palate unmistakably human in shape. And yet we go to this kind of uh, links to try to prove uh, that we've got uh, something intermediate between man and animal life. The truth is, none of these have proved out to be those transitional forms. And our students don't need to have to uh, be forced to believe otherwise at this, uh, at this uh, point. Here, I'll read you just this one uh, uh, quotation. Among other things, uh, this fossil, traditionally viewed as the earliest known hominid in the human family, was not an hominid at all, but rather an ancient, indirect ancestor of the orangutan. So some of these skulls are monkeys, and some of these skulls are men. But when properly analyzed, they have been one or the other. This fossil can no longer be considered part of the human lineage, but as a part of the orangutan lineage. This author, Peter Andrews of the British Museum, has said. Well, we could look at uh, a number of different uh, supposed transitional forms, like uh, Lucy, or like this uh, black skull. And this uh, is said by uh, Philbeam in, uh, in this book uh, by the American scientist or in this article in the American Scientist in, 18, in 1986, that these are rapidly sinking back to the status of peculiarly specialized apes. Whereas they were thought originally to be men, now they are known to be actually apes. So let's uh, take a look uh, then. Despite the excited and optimistic claims that have been made by some paleontologists, Tom Bethel says, no fossil 
hominid species can be established as our direct ancestor. You'll find very dogmatic teachers in schools claiming very strong things about the origin of man through mammals, monkeys, apes, and so on, which are just beyond what they have the evidence to prove. Bethel goes on to say, because all you've got Uh, let me see, because uh, all you've got is Homo sapiens there. You've got that fossil there. You've got another fossil there. This is time here, and it's up to you to draw the lines, because there are no lines, he says. And so what he is uh, uh, telling us is that one fossil doesn't uh, prove the theory of Darwin. The only way you can know some fossil is the direct ancestor is that it's so human that it is human. There is a contradiction there. If it is different enough from humans to be interesting, then you don't know whether it's our ancestor or not. And if it's similar enough to be human, then it's not interesting because it's just a human. So I think that's a very telling quotation for us uh, uh, to understand. Let me uh, get us close to uh, the end of this uh, particular study because I think our classes are coming in in just a moment. But Pilbeam uh, from Harvard University uh, has said, Perhaps generations of students of human evolution, including myself, have been flailing about in the dark, that our database is too sparse, too slippery, for it to be able to mold our theories. Rather, the theories are more statements about us and ideology than about the past. Now, what that says, of course, is that the conclusions that are being drawn by these people, these scientists, so-called, are more what they believe and what their theories are than they are what the evidence can establish. And that's the point of it all. And I think we need to be aware of that. He says, paleoanthropology reveals more about how humans view themselves than it does about humans came about. And that's the issue. What we're looking for is the real evidence of our origins. Now, obviously, there are differences between human beings and animals. And one of the things that we may uh, touch upon tomorrow evening just a little bit has to do with what there is unique about human beings. We can think and we can reason about our origin. Your puppy dog can't do that. An ape can't do that. We can create and appreciate aesthetically the beautiful things that are around us that make up our universe. We can do that. 
Man can do that. Man is different. There is not just some similarity in the fact that we can all stand up on our back two legs like a monkey can that make us similar to the monkey. There's too many differences in our makeup, in our nature, in our genetic makeup, but also in our intellectual makeup that needs to be considered. We have a moral sense that provides a conscience. That's what we were talking about on Sunday morning that makes man different from the animal creation and that makes us like the God that did create us. And we pass on acquired knowledge through generations in very complex uh, forms that we do that. Not just in uh, uh, writing or not just in, in literature, but in the uh, uh, now technical areas where this information is being stored and kept, and all of that by the design of human beings. Animals can't do that. So there's much more to the issue of our being like animals than this whole thing of Grolier's uh, uh, pictures of monkeys getting more and more uh, like a man. So the question then comes down to be, which is your source? Where did you come from? Did you come about just naturally through these long sequence of uh, small changes? That's what we're going to deal with more tomorrow night. Or did we come about by creation from God Almighty? who is an intelligent designer. That's our issue.